Welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. Every week, we talk to filmmakers, adventure junkies, writers, musicians, vagabonds, people that veer off the beaten path. We dig into topics like how to execute ambitious projects, overcome extreme obstacles, and find the things that drive you. Find your true north. Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of Odyssey and Muse. This is going to be the first of possibly many little in-between episodes where we check in with people who are about to embark on or in the middle of an adventure around the world. So today I am talking with Russ McCoy of Man Bike World. He was the second person I interviewed for the podcast, episode number two, and he's the first repeat guest actually. Uh, Russ has been on two big bicycle tours and he's about to leave on his third in a few days, but this time he's changing it up. We'll be riding down the Great Divide Trail and spending some time off-road. Uh, so rather than making a muck of things, guessing what he's going to be doing, let me welcome him to the show. Russ, welcome. How are you doing? It's really good to hear from you, John. Thanks for uh, giving me a call. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, so you are, what, just a couple days away from taking an airplane up north to start this trip, right? Yeah, actually, I, uh, I've been thinking about doing this trip for a while now. I'm, I'll be doing the Great Divide mountain bike route um, from Banff, Canada, uh, 2,745 miles, ending in Antelope Wells, New Mexico. And I will get on a plane um, in three days here and uh, head to Banff with my bicycle. Awesome. How far down into Mexico is Antelope Wells? Well, Antelope Wells is actually, if you picture New Mexico, it's it's right down in the middle of the boot heel, sort of on the um, south end of the Gila wilderness. So there is a uh, a crossing into Mexico at that point. So, but the Great Divide ends at the border of Mexico. Okay, let's uh, let's just go over your first couple tours briefly. We actually met on your first tour in Oregon just before uh, Astoria. Um, you could kind of go back to episode two and listen to some stuff about that tour, but maybe just do a brief review of what those first two tours were about. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about what you've learned on those tours that you're incorporating into this one. Oh, sure. Sure. You bet. Well, my, my first tour was sort of my, um, getting my feet wet as a a retired guy. I, I was, I was contemplating retiring early and I quit my job, sold my house, sold all my possessions. And I wanted to, uh, you know, make sure I could keep myself busy. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> I uh, decided I wanted to ride my bicycle around the country. So I did a 4,500-mile tour. Um, you and I had a huge chunk of that tour together along the Pacific Coast. Yeah, that was and, a good time. <laughs> uh, I, and that was, like, one of my favorite times is you know, going down the Pacific Coast Highway um, as a group and meeting all kinds of new people. And uh, I circled back to Albuquerque and... Uh, that ended my first tour, and then a year later, I did an even bigger one, um, 6,500 miles. Wow. Um, and I, at that time, I actually went down into the Baja, California, down into Mexico, and uh, ended that tour in Mazatlan, Mexico. That's right. You went pretty far into Mexico. How was that part of the trip? Was it a little sketchy on the roads down there? Because they're not as bicycle-friendly, I feel. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting. You know, my my anxiety for that trip was, um, you know, centered around not, you know, th- you know, thinking it wasn't going to be bicycle friendly in Mexico. And uh, indeed, there, you know, there's not a shoulder, very much of a shoulder in Mexico. There's not a lot of people riding bicycles, and the traffic is really, really dense. But 
um, surprisingly, um, the, the traffic is much more accommodating, much more considerate, much more friendly people down there. And I actually felt safer in Mexico than I on the road than I ever did in, um, for the other parts of my tour throughout you know, the United States and Canada. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. So they would actually kind of slow down and either stop or go around you at a wide, wider berth than most people in the U.S.? Yeah, I, you know, and, and um, to be fair, I made several mistakes on the road, and, I, you know, I would fully have expected to be um, chastised and honked at in the, you know, in the United States. But in Mexico, people are very tolerant of my mistakes and uh, very, very courteous. Um, I, I felt like I was uh, another traveler on the road just like them. You know, I never felt like I was less than, you know, and, and maybe that was just my own personal experience. But, um, you know, after pedaling around the United States and Canada, you really get a sense of the, uh, the attitude against the cyclists or for the cyclists. Yeah. And they were very, very friendly there. Well, that's great to know. What, what about the like wild dog situation? Are there more down there? I mean, sometimes even in the States or Canada, you run into some loose dogs or wild dogs, but where did you run into a bunch in Mexico or did you have any issues with them? Um, I, I never, you know what, that's a good question. I, you know, I never even thought about that. And you're, you know, now that you bring it up, I never had a single instance of being chased by a dog in Mexico. Really? Um, I don't know if that, I can't explain why, you know, I saw plenty of dogs. Um, <laughs> I get, I got, ch I got chased plenty of times in the United States and Canada. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, those are both good things to know. I, I didn't, I, for some reason I thought I remembered seeing you having troubles with that, but maybe I just imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe go into a little bit more detail on this Great Divide trip. What What is the Great Divide for anyone that just has no idea what that is? Well, uh, back in the, uh, I think it was the early 80s, the Adventure Cycling Association, who's a big organization here in the United States of um, adventure cyclists and um, bicycle tourists, created that a route that is... 85% off-road uh, that follows the Continental Divide from Banff, Canada, um, along the Continental Divide, and ends in Antelope Wells, New Mexico. Which, the Continental Divide is basically what, just the, like the Rocky Mountains? Yeah, it's, it's basically the, the high point along the Rocky Mountains where presumably, you know, water will flow to the east on the east side and to the west on the west side. Mm -hmm. And so you spend a lot of time in the mountains. There, there, there are many, many crossings of the Continental Divide on this route. Do you have an idea of how much elevation climb you're going to have over the total trip? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the total elevation, um, vertical elevation of the climb for this 2,745-mile trip is about 180,000 vertical feet. And to, to put that into perspective, um, on my 6,500-mile tour, in 2015, I climbed a total of about 175,000 vertical feet. So now, wow. <laughs> on this this trip, um, that same amount of climbing is compressed into 2,700 miles. That's <laughs> a little yeah. bit steeper. And and there's going to be a lot more off-road versus on the road, so which might make it a little more difficult too, right? Yeah, they they 85% uh, uh, of it is um, forest road mm. and. About 10% of it is uh, highway, and about 5% of it is single track. Okay. 
So the the main difference on this tour is the the off road aspect because the other two were all all streets, correct? Yeah, all pavement. And you know the 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 challenge here, um, not being on the pavement, is that I won't have you know a fallback plan. My my fallback plan was always in an emergency. You know, a car is going to be coming by sooner or later, and people are really helpful. You know, you just hold out your hand for water or you know, a couple times I had mechanical problems and people would stop and help. And But on this route, there are going to be very, very few, few times when, you know, traffic is going to come by and there's there's <laughs> not not a lot of access to, to cities and, and services along the way. Yeah, for some reason I didn't think about that. That makes, yeah, that does make it a little more intense, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, whereas I was able to, you know, like when we were on the Pacific Coast Highway on my first tour in 2014, mm-hmm. we could we could pretty much tour by only having one bottle of water on our bike yeah. and uh, know that, you know, know that we could fill up our water bottle every hour or so at a gas station or something. Um, there are going to be, on the Great Divide mountain bike route, there's going to be several places where there will be two or three or four days without water at all. Yeah, so how are you managing the water and food supply then? Are you just, do you have a, a bag that you can carry extra water? Or are you planning on, you know, um, collecting water from rivers and stuff like that? Yeah, there, for for a lot of the northern part, you know, Canada and uh, Montana and Wyoming and even Colorado, there there's groundwater access. So I'll take a filter and I'll take purification tablets and I'll be able to, to filter water and add to, you know, I've, I'll have... Um, uh, storage bags on the bike to store up to about 10 liters of water to just get me through those hard times um, when I don't have access to uh, public utility water. How, how much weight is 10 liters of water? Well, um, let's see, what is it, 3.78 or something liters per gallon, and every gallon is 8 pounds, so 10 liters is is a little over, um, you know, somewhere between 16 and 20 pounds of water. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good chunk of weight. <laughs> when you're on bicycle. It, it is, it is, and you know, it's just, it, and I'll, and I will have to ration. You know, I'll have to be careful about uh, about drinking the water and to get through. Yeah, so food's probably not as big of a deal, right? I mean, you can go a few days without, you know, having tons of food. Are you gonna have to? You're not gonna have to cash anything, are you? No, I I think you know, and some people do. Some people. Um, send food to general delivery or in, in fact um, some people will cash food but I, I don't think I'll, I'll have to do that and I really think I'll be able to just um, carry enough food to get get me through the two or three or four day stretches without access to services yeah you know I won't be I won't you know I won't be eating steak and mashed potatoes <laughs> <but> I'll <laughs> be eating freeze-dried facsimiles of that <laughs> mm, delicious you're not gonna do any hunting or fishing off the bicycle I, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I, I've never found been able to find the time to do anything other than pedal or set up camp or eat or sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially after those kind of climbs. Uh, what what makes you anxious uh, as you prepare for this one versus what made you anxious in your previous tours? Is there any are there any differences? Oh yeah, that's a good question. The, for the first tour, I, my anxiety was was related to safety so i figured that sooner or later somebody was gonna give me cause me trouble somewhere mm-hmm. and or i was going to get hurt you know i might be hit by a car and those were the two anxieties had i had on the first tour and i realized 
you know, after I'd pedaled a while that, um, people are very, very friendly and, um, uh, even, even more so than if I was in a car, you know, on a bicycle, you're, you're kind of a small fish on the road. And for some reason you end up being very, very approachable. So people approached me all the time, wanted to help very, you know, many, many times. Um, whenever I had a mechanical breakdown, there was always somebody around the corner to help within a few minutes. Yeah. On my second tour, my anxiety was related to all of the, um, you know, the media frenzy associated with, with tourist travel in Mexico. So yeah, I was, yeah. I get, was get captured by the cartel or something. Right. I was afraid I was going to, uh, somebody's going to give me a hard time or I was going to be robbed or, or I was going to be taken advantage of somehow. And it was quite the opposite actually. And, and I don't know if it was because I was naive or I was just lucky, but, um, I felt safer in Mexico on a bicycle than I did traveling through the United States and Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent a little bit of time in Mexico this last, uh, December and for about two weeks, almost two weeks. And yeah, I had the same experience. I mean, everyone I met was super helpful and friendly. And even if they didn't speak English, they, you know, they would try to help you out. So it's that media perception that always, you know, puts the fear into everybody. I mean, if you look at our news from another country, I'm sure it looks like, you know, everyone's getting shot up every day. So yeah, yeah, right. You know, it, it's, it's really nice. And, you, and I'm sure you experienced this, experienced this when we toured together, that it's kind of nice to be off the grid and not have access to the media and not really know what's going on in the media. Just get on that bicycle and pedal and just yeah. experience the reality of it. Yeah. Get out there in nature and the world and stop listening and watching everything that there is on TV and the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think you're going to have to deal with any, well, actually, well, we do, I missed it. What's your anxiety for this one? So uh, yeah, that exactly. Before so, I talk over you. I got through the first two tours and the realities, you know, diluted, diluted my, um, my anxiety with reality. Um, this tour, you know, I've got a, I've got a real, I've got real anxiety about bears. Um, <laughs> that was going to be the question I was just going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this anxiety about grizzly bears. You know, I've seen plenty of black bears out and about, um, and on the roads in Canada and Montana, mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, this tour, you know, being off-road and going through some of the most dense grizzly populations in North America, I'm, I've got real anxiety. So I'm hoping that my reality is going dilute to dilute the anxiety that, I, that I've got. Yeah. What are, what are you doing in preparation for that? Well, you know, it's just smart when you're going to be in bear country to, to take full standard bear precautions. You know, um, never eat at your camp. Um, never store your food in your tent, you know, hang your food in a tree. Mm -hmm. Um, and it gets even more extreme than that, you know, don't, uh, you know, your toiletries and your toothpaste and gum and candy, none of that stuff can be anywhere near your tent. You know, bears are black bears, especially are really opportunistic. So if they smell or if they've been habituated to, to know that the smell of gum means food to them, then they're yeah. going to go looking for it. Not necessarily that they want to attack a human. They just want to get some food. So um, I'll, I'll be very, very careful about where I store my food and what smells get on the things that are around my camp. Around my camp. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So, so do you have like a big rope that you're going to toss your bag up into a tree with? <laughs> What's that procedure like? Yeah, yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got a a small lightweight piece of cord that's uh, 40 feet long that I'll be able to 
store my food up in a tree. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to do everything very, very lightweight. I, I went on a little bike packing adventure for two days or three days and two nights this last weekend. And I learned a hard lesson about weight on the bike. So I'm scrambling to, to reduce weight on everything, but I, I'll still take my little cords so that I can hang my food up. Let's talk about that a little bit. Compare your bicycle setup for those first couple of tours to this one. I know you've made some changes. It's the same bicycle, right? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you remember when we were touring on the Pacific Coast Highway, we would have competitions to see whose bike weighed the most. <laughs> and, I, and I believe you won. <laughs> yeah, I had one rubber mallet ahead of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, you know, back in 2014, my, my setup, um, and it's the same, it's going to be the same bike on all three tours. My setup weighed, you know, once we shopped, if we shopped for a couple days and had extra water, we, you know, my bike weighed probably 115 pounds. Um, and I think yours was up there a little bit more than that. Um, you had a little, a few more luxury items than I did too. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty heavy. <laughs> on my on my second tour, um, and and you know a lot of it depends on how much access do you have that you have to food and how much you're going to cook and yeah. how much you're going to sleep outside. But my bicycle probably weighed about ninety five pounds at the heaviest. So that's a good drop. Um, last week when I weighed my bike before I went on a little. Uh, bike camping adventure it weighed 78 pounds um and i think i would really love to shave another 20 pounds off of that before i head to canada this weekend wow so what are you thinking of dropping anything <laughs> so, you have in mind <laughs> yeah i was uh i was carrying a dslr um and i'm gonna i'm gonna sacrifice that so i'm oh. not gonna take my dslr i'm gonna cut down on my clothing a bit and um, I'm going to sacrifice my handlebar bag. I'm not going to take that anymore. I'm going to switch it over for a backpack. Um, I'm cutting off the um, – I have three water bottles on the bike. I'm going to take all of those off. I've eliminated la the flashing tail light on my bicycle. I'm, I took off some extra straps. I don't know, just kind of nickel and diming yeah, it and yeah. seeing if I can get the weight down. So are you going to do like a camelback um, backpack type thing? Yeah, I'll have a camelback. So in my camelback, I'll be able to carry two liters of water, and then I'll have a dromedary bag on the bike in a frame pack that will carry six liters of water. Mm -hmm. And then I'm saving one one bike bottle in a bike cage um, on the on the bike. And then I oh the other thing I'm, I'm sacrificing is um, I had you know I had a tripod, I had a little selfie stick, I had a little GoPro camera. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have to leave all that stuff here. I really just need to oh, you know man. skim some weight down. You're gonna have at least one camera though, right? Other than your phone. No, I'll have um, you know I'll have the phone, the camera on my iPhone, so I'll do little videos with that um, and upload them when I get Wi-Fi. And then I'll also carry a uh, compact um, uh, point and shoot sort of a camera. Okay. Was that the one that you had on that original tour? Yeah, yeah, just a small Nikon. That thing wasn't too bad. I mean, you got some good pictures with it. No, the thing, the quality of the pictures is good. I was surprised that uh, the battery is still intact. I charged it up, and it's still holding a good charge. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I would, it would be really hard for me to leave my DSLR, but that thing does weigh a ton of weight, especially with that zoom lens that I have. It would, <laughs> it's like ten pounds probably. It's, but you know, when you look at the quality of the pictures, when you come home and and see the quality of the pictures that you were able to capture, and you know, I've looked at your pictures and. I think you you know you use one here on your Odyssey and Muse um, header yeah, cover photo. Of... They're just spectacular, and it's and it's really hard to go back. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. 
But I guess uh, if you're going to be out there for 2,700 miles going up mountains on dirt roads, <laughs> every pound counts. Huh? It, it really does. It really does. And and we this last weekend, we were having to carry our bikes up a canyon that had a lot of deadfalls across the trail. And that's when I uh, that was the, the deadfall that broke the camel's back. <laughs> that makes sense. So So that's kind of the benefit of having a backpack in that situation. At least you're not, you know, hoisting it in the air when you're moving the bike around that extra weight. Yeah, exactly. So this is something I saw on your website. Uh, you did that little Debrim clone. Is that is that something real, or is that just kind of like a fun gag thing, or what is that? Explain <laughs> explain that. I, I was uh, on on my first on my first two tours. I didn't wear a helmet. I just wore a uh, sort of an Aussie style uh, large brim hat. And uh, on this um, off road mountain bike tour I, I decided i need to wear a helmet because the you know falling and hitting your head out in the middle of nowhere is is not the greatest way to yeah. to end up so become bare food and i really didn't want to have to be constantly applying sunscreen to my head and that you know a large brim hat actually works so i i i like the i like the concept of the, the brim it's just an amazing concept um, I just thought I would try to do one on my own. So I did. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> it looks, it looks like you succeeded. I, I've never seen a Debrim, but that's basically what it is, is a helmet with like a hat all the way around it or a visor. Yeah. It, it, it uh, has an elastic band and it, and it cinches itself right up on top of your helmet. So, uh, but actually, you know what I, you know, the day, two days after I created that clone of the Debrim, um, and, and that was just a cheap floppy hat that i bought at, at a store and i cut it cut it up and then sewed it onto my helmet yeah two days later i got as a gift an actual debrim so take a look at some of my pictures on my tour and you'll see a real debrim and how it works oh cool nice yeah i'm excited to see that thing i don't know if you're willing to talk about this at all um because uh, I, don't, I don't really have like a personal opinion that i'm trying to push or anything but i know at least on the cycling tour groups that you're a part of and just in the community, there's always the discussion of like the helmet or no helmet when you're touring. And I know you you went without a helmet for a while, so I don't know if you have a particular point of view um, on that or why it's such a big issue. I know some people get really heated about it. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, it's it's uh, people people are on there. There's very few people on the fence on that whole topic. So you're either you know you're either pro helmet or or um, you know, okay about not wearing a helmet. And, you know, I, 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 I did some research, and um, bicycle helmets are really designed for falling off the bicycle and hitting your head on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it protects you from a slow speed collision. Um, the 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 benefit of wearing a bicycle helmet starts to drop off very rapidly when you're when you're when you talk about getting hit by a car. So um, that's why I decided to go without a helmet on my first couple tours i you know it's just i would have i really was wanting to just wear a hat and not necessarily have to wear a helmet yeah um i switched gears yeah. on this trip you know to me it's smart just if i fall off my bicycle on this off-road tour which is very very likely um if i'm going to hit my head i want to have some protection from the helmet so and I, you know, there's not going to be somebody coming within a few minutes behind me to find me on the ground. So that's why I decided to wear the helmet the second time around. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's, you know, and when I ride my road bike with my with my road bike club, we're always wearing helmets. It's just part of the culture. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I remember, I mean, riding with you, you were always like a super safe guy, especially when there's a group of us going through this city and stuff. And I was like, huh, he doesn't have a helmet, but, you know, it's his choice. So I never said anything about it. I know I'm I'm bad enough. You know, I even flipped over the handlebars one time on that trip all by myself, just hitting a curb, not looking. <laughs> so I was like, the helmet for me, I felt <laughs> I needed it. And so, and and a big chunk of that, in my opinion, is it's it's very cultural here in the United States to to wear a helmet, um, without question. You know, there European communities. There's many many European communities where it, part of the culture is just not to wear a helmet. And in fact, the bicycle actually just becomes instead of being recreational, it's a mode of transportation. And um, you see families of people, little kids, old people, and mm-hmm. riding their bicycles without helmets and not necessarily wearing spandex and lycra either. Yeah, yeah, just normal everyday clothes to hang out and cruise around town type things. Do you have uh, any idea of like what kind of drives you to do these tours? I mean, is it just getting out there, seeing the world, um, nothing nothing exciting going on back home or you know, just what's kind of your point of view? <laughs> I don't I don't think that I would have retired if I did not have something to keep me busy, you know. So I, I really enjoy cycling a lot and, and when I'm not touring I'm I'm training for races and things and uh um that's what just keeps me going just um I'm I'm fifty five years old and I'm Meaning that my body can still do it, and it's 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 doing things that I would have never guessed I would be capable of at this age. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep exploring. I'm going to see you know how far I can go and what I can do on this bicycle. And uh, travel is a big part of that. Just being able to see the world and not have it be just a two-week chunk out of the year that I took vacation out of a job to go do. Do you think uh, your next tour is going to be out of the country somewhere? I'm trying. Yeah, I'm working myself. To, I'm I'm taking on bigger and bigger challenges and and clearing myself of my anxiety so that I can do even bigger and bigger things. I really would like to do South America and go to Patagonia and see some of the sites down there that that people that will only see in magazines. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's a lot of beautiful stuff out there to see and. South America is definitely on my list of places to see as well. Uh, what for you? What are the pros and cons of soloing versus riding with others? Oh, that's a good question. You know, it, it solo means that it, you know, it, you know, and and you got to understand it's very very hard to get um, two people to commit to this to this kind of adventure on this at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. we. When you and I met, we ended up realizing that our writing styles, our writing abilities, and our camping styles, and our cooking styles, and our sense of humor, and just our personalities meshed, meshed up very, very well. So, I don't think, you know, I don't think we could have um, architected that ahead of time. It just, yeah, we just yeah. happened to fall into, we just happened to fall in line with each other along on our adventure, and that to me made group rock super enjoyable we settled in a group a really good group of about 10 to anywhere from 10 to 15 people and it was just amazing um when that's not possible like other parts of the country like when i go up into canada i in order for me to see canada i've got to just be okay with touring solo and it's it gets lonely and uh, i crave human attention from time (laughs) to time and you know there's the anxiety of camping alone and um, nobody to really talk with at the end of the day, that stuff starts to, you know, wear on you after a while. So, but at the same time, you know, you're counterbalanced with, you're out there getting to experience the world. Um, you just have to sacrifice, uh, 
you know, some of the socialization parts of it. Do you think you're going to ride into many people on this trip? I don't know how popular the Great Divide ride is. Well, this is, it's the majority of the people that are on this route um, are racing it. And there's a race that occurs every year. Usually it's about the first or second week of June. This year it happened, it started on June 10th. And there was about 200 racers that go on that route specifically to see how quickly they can do it. 2,745 miles, and the winner did it in just over 12 days. Wow. Um, and some of the racers that are that started on June 10th, June 10th are still on the course today. <laughs> so, um, But there are also other people who just, like me, want to tour it. I don't want to race it. I, you know, I can't see doing 180 or 200 miles a day. I'd rather do 30 or 40 or 50 miles a day and take more pictures and um, meet more people. So I, I think, you know, I think I will come across some other riders here and there, just not a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been kind of my perspective as well as, you know, I want to do these kind of trips just to see new places and experience it and meet new people and take my time really like 40, 40, 50, 60 miles is plenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are you looking forward to the most on this trip in particular? Well, I'm I'm really looking forward to um, being off the pavement. I, you know, it's it kind of wears on you to be running in traffic for eleven thousand miles, and I, you know, I, I'm kind of looking for a diversion from that, just to get away from the traffic and and be remote. You know, see some places that you can't get to in a car. That's really what I'd like to, you know, get some pictures of places and, and see what it's like to be so remote. You don't hear traffic. Mm-hmm. You don't hear people, you know, just being away. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a great experience. I've, I've yet to do that type of trip, but one of these days I was, I was hoping to make it work out to where I could like be like, yeah, I'm coming along too, Russ, but probably not this year. So <laughs> I've only got two days to get ready. <laughs> three days Um, anywhere yeah anywhere you want to jump in along the way (laughs) come on (laughs) Uh, let's just talk a little bit about um kind of what you're doing in terms of your blogging and sharing what you're doing this time around because on the last two trips you've done a lot of either facebook or crazy guy on a bike blog or kind of mixed it up a little bit with youtube videos what's what's the plan this year it sounds like you're already kind of getting rid of some of the extra cameras but you could still shoot video and photos with your phone and the other digital camera. What's the plan? Yeah, I, I decided I, I'm going to sacrifice the daily blogging. I won't be able to daily blog. So what I'll do is just do updates from time to time on Facebook and um, periodically be able to o- upload small videos on YouTube using my iPhone. And then I've also got um, a free service that I'll, I, I will call into and leave voicemails that will go directly to my website from time to time um just giving i'll be able to just leave a voicemail and audio sort of an update oh wow what's that service called it's called ipadio oh that's kind of a cool cool idea i've never heard of that one yeah and you know if um i don't know if if you or your listeners are familiar with the, the way that the the great divide mountain bike racers the tour divide racers would do their updates would be when they would get into cell phone service they would call into that same sort of a service and leave a, an audio message and an audio update of what's how things are going for them. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, 
it's kind of fun to, to hear the people's voices or like, like you did before some of the videos. Are you going to try to still do some videos here and there when you get, get a chance to upload? Yeah, I'll, I'll still, I'll probably still do like a daily 60 second video and try to keep the, you know, keep the file size down small enough to where when I get Wi-Fi service, I can upload two or three or four videos at a time. And I think, I think I saw you mention that you're going to mainly post on your Facebook page this time, right? As opposed to crazy guy on a bike or your blog. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be exclusively on manbikeworld.com on Facebook page. Yeah, that'll that'll make it a little easier and less time consuming, I guess, <laughs> instead of trying to post it all over the world or the internet. Why why do you think you share these adventures with others or what do you like about posting this stuff online because it it does take up some time? Well, you know, it, what got me hooked was reading other people's blogs. I, I, I gained so much momentum by reading the blogs of other people, and I got, I got a sense of, um, of that I could do it because I was just reading. You know, regular other people were doing these sorts of adventures, and um, that gave me the confidence that I, I could try it myself. So I hope to, you know, I hope to give back, and and I hope to inspire anybody to, to attempt to um you know scale things back simplify things in their world and and get out and see the world you don't need to spend a lot of money to explore our world and our country and our state that's kind of a great place to end actually i don't i don't know if you have any other final words you want to add um any recommendations for anyone else that's just thinking of doing this and is nervous because you know both you and i on our first trips were pretty pretty anxious i think <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would just say, you know, it, it's al- although I spent some money on equipment now, my first tours were just on my regular old cheap mountain bike. I just threw some stuff on the back and, and I took off. It doesn't cost a lot to, to do this. Go out and do it on an overnight or do a 24 hour overnight or do a couple nights and then see if you see what you think, you know, give it a try. It's, everybody should be giving it a, a shot and and see what their their community is like. Go out and explore the world. All right, where where can people find you? It's mainly manbikeworld.com on Facebook, right? And anywhere else? Manbikeworld and then um, on Facebook and then manbikeworld.com on the World Wide Web. Everything will point it back to Facebook, basically. Okay, perfect. Hopefully, I don't know, I don't know where you're going to be at, but maybe about a month in or so, if you find somewhere with some good Wi-Fi and crash at a hotel or something, maybe we could catch up halfway and see how the bear experiences went and <laughs> how uh, how you're faring out there. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to give you an update, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you. All right, Russ, thanks for doing this. Have a good trip. Thanks a lot, John. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. You can follow me, John Jerko, at John Jerko on Twitter and Instagram, and find out more about Odyssey and News, including the show notes for each episode at odysseyandnews.com. We now have a separate Odyssey and Muse Instagram feed where we'll be posting audio teasers for each episode along with photos from our guests. On the website, I'm including three to five takeaways for each episode so you can get some value out of what we covered at a glance. Remember, you can find us on all of your favorite platforms like SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Folks, we spend hours every week preparing for the show, editing interviews, and putting together bonus content for you to enjoy. If you like what we're doing, we would love your support. You can now donate a small amount to us one time or monthly by going to the website and clicking donate. Even a couple dollars goes a long way. You can pay for a copy that keeps us sane for the week or keep our web hosting bills paid up. 
Most importantly, please take a couple of minutes to go to iTunes to subscribe and rate the show. It's the only way the show gets noticed in this world of never-ending content. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, follow your true north.